If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up <clears throat> Revelation chapter 17 as we uh, continue on with John the Revelator, <coughs> recognizing that uh, he's now uh, rolling into the symphony as he writes. We finished the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now he's going to back up and take a look at some of the specific issues that are taking place as those bowls are turned over, as they're poured out, the judgments that the Lord is bringing. So we look in verse 17, he describes this one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. (laughs) Where'd you get that at? Oh, Uh, I'm going to have to show everybody. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, And holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you this evening, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would anoint this time, Lord, to pray that you would give us eyes as we open the scriptures, God, to see uh, what your scriptures are indicating, Lord, what you're showing us, Lord. We ask that uh, you be glorified in this place, God, and that you would continue to help within us a hunger for your word and knowing you uh, to grow. Lord, we lift this time to you and we seek your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you want to see what she gave me? Can you read it? It says snarky. It's a, it's a Snickers. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was a hint. Yeah, you didn't create it, right? Snickers uses it too. And it's almond uh, Snickers, so I'll happily eat it. <coughs> All right, so as we look, we're looking tonight at the judgment of the great prostitute. Now, a lot of people spend a lot of time um, trying to decipher who this is, who is this pointing to. I'm probably not going to do that so much tonight. I want you to to see what it is that God's talking about. Uh, Whenever we do the who is this and who is that in Scripture, it usually means that we don't have to pay attention to it because it's not talking about me. Right? I'm not the mother of all harlots. I can't be this this woman who rides a beast. But there are warnings all throughout the book of Revelation, all throughout the scripture. And the warnings are there to say, here are some issues that God judges, that God uh, uh, wants us to know. Ultimately, as we look at the book of Revelation, what's God telling us? At the end of the book, what happens? He's going to do away with evil, right? All of evil is going to be judged. It's going to be put away. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we may, a lot of us disagree on how we get from A to B, but that the end we are all good with, right? Jesus comes back, new heaven, new earth. That's what goes on. 
And all throughout Revelation, he's been telling us the six, um, uh, or the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bulls. What's that all about? God's judgment. God's judgment on what? God's judgment on evil, on the wickedness of the world, on a Christ-rejecting uh, uh, world that that uh, that God is is pouring judgment upon. What is that telling us? That, that the Lord's doing battle against evil, right? That He is going to stand. He's told us that all throughout the New Testament, hasn't He? That wherever you go, I'll be with you. He didn't say, I'm going to make you fight all by yourself. He said He'd be there a part of the deal. So when we look at Revelation, I just want you to see that there are things, nuggets, pieces, chunks, that it's not about us identifying who is this person. Right? A lot of times people spend a lot of time trying to identify the Antichrist. Spend more time getting to know Jesus Christ. You'll be fine. Right? The Antichrist is probably not Trump. It wasn't Obama. It wasn't Kissinger when I was a kid. You know, the one thing everybody who names the Antichrist has in common is so far they've all been wrong. We'll see. Sooner or later somebody's got to get it, right? We'll see how it goes. But ultimately, what do I want? I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to understand what it is he's looking for for me. And I hope we can see that in this judgment. Now, when we look at it, there's ten things about this woman, uh, the woman who rides a beast. Ten things are identified. So if you're going to try to identify who she is, she's got to meet all ten. Not three, not five, right? If the Bible says these ten things make up who she is, then what's she got to do? Those ten things are who she is, right? So let's look at the ten things just briefly before we dive in. First thing, she's a prostitute. Now, what does that mean scripturally when we, when we see that? Is that? Does that have any meaning to it, that she's a, a prostitute? Over and over. Yeah, go ahead. Woo! Touchdown. Perfect, right? The prostitute, sexual immorality, and all those things are laid out in the scripture with a specific purpose, idolatry. Idolatry, 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 idolatry. The picture is an unfaithful wife. So just keep keep the idea of a marriage in in the picture. In Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul is describing the relationship between Christ and the church, what does he use? A marriage, right? This is the mystery, right? I'm speaking of... The a relationship between Christ and the church, but he's talking about husbands and wives. What is the point? What is it that God's looking for? He's looking for loyal love. Loyal love. Not unfaithfulness. What is it that would mark a prostitute? Unfaithfulness. Uh, I don't know if unloyalty is a word. What is the right word? Inloyalty? Unloyalty? A-loyal- Disloyalty. Thanks, babe. <clears throat> so... I'll just keep throwing them out there until somebody corrects me. So I was hoping. I'm looking for you, Jerry. Where were you, brother? <laughs> so she's, it's disloyalty. Look, God wants people, God wants a faithful wife or faithful husband or whatever relationship it makes sense for in your mind. God wants faithfulness, right? When, when we pick relationships in our life, None of us are running around going, you know, I want the most unfaithful person ever. I want, I want to find a really unfaithful friend. Do we do that? No, we want faithfulness. So God, what is the picture that the sign, the symbolism that God uses over and over and over in His Word to say unfaithfulness? 
prostitute. Now, just pause there for a moment. This should remind us of a lot of things in the Old Testament, right? Like if you, if you uh, uh, know about the book, um, well, I just lost it, Hosea, uh, where, where God says to Hosea, his prophet, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And what does that, his whole life become? An illustration of the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. God and an unfaithful bride. So when we look at the woman who rides the beast, there's a lot of things we want to understand. When it says she's a prostitute, don't get so focused on sexual immorality, although that's always a part of idolatry, but realize that that it is basic unfaithfulness, disloyalty. She sits on many waters. We'll see what those waters are described as. In verse 15 it says, There are many nations, many people, many tongues. What does that mean? That means she touches every culture on earth. All of them. Not just the ones we can think of. She touches them all. The kings of the earth are her lovers. The kings of the earth. That means rulers over various nations. She rides a seven-headed, ten-horned, scarlet beast. She carries a cup full of abominations. Now, there's a lot of things the Bible talks about as abominations, right? So she's got this golden cup. It's all pretty on the outside, but what's in it? Yeah, all kind of vile stuff. All kind of vile stuff. She has a title. It's a a multi-level title. The first part of that title is mystery. The second part of that title is uh, Mother of Harlots, uh, Babylon the Great. (coughs) She's dressed in purple and scarlet. Probably means she's rich, wealthy. And she's drunk. On what? The blood of the saints. She derives pleasure, inebriation, from wiping out the saints, killing believers. And finally, she's identified with a great city that rules over all the nations of the earth. So there's, it, so, so, you know, if you're saying, I want to, I want to do this, ever since the Reformation, the, ever since the Reformation in the church, Protestants have identified the woman who rides the beast as the Catholic Church. Because during the Reformation, the Catholic Church was guilty of a lot of this kind of stuff. And certainly in their history, they are. But you know, whenever someone writes history, like for example, the Reformers or the Protestants writing about the Catholic Church, they usually paint themselves pretty well. And the, and the truth is, they were doing the same things back. It wasn't just Catholics burning Protestants. It's not a high point in, in church history, because the reality is, when we look at the church, it's made up of us, Right? And what have we discovered about us? That we're broken and we are capable of doing dumb things. Aren't we? Now hopefully we're surrendered to Christ and we're, we have the victory, but we, we know from experience that's not always the case. That's not always the case. So what is this judgment? There's an announcement of judgment against this woman. Look at verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, who poured out this final judgments, right, when the wrath of God was complete... They came to me, to John, and said, Come, and I will show you, what's the next phrase? The judgment of. He's going to show the judgment of the great prostitute 
who is seated on many waters. Now when we look at Revelation chapter 17 and Revelation chapter 18, I think we're looking at the same thing. We'll be talking about it as we work our way through. You're going to see the judgment of Babylon, the city. In 18, you're going to see the judgment of the woman who rides the beast in 17. And when you look at the descriptions that you're going to read through that chapter of each, they're going to sound an awful lot alike. Awful lot alike. So as we look at this, this judgment poured out. In Revelation 16, 19, it said, This great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. That's a, a scripture talking about God judging Babylon. Now remember when we've talked, I've said the story of the Bible is the story of two cities. You remember? The city of Jerusalem, which signifies the city of God, ruled by God. And then Babylon, which signifies the city of rebellion against God. Those who are with me and those who are against me, right? There's only two categories in the world, right? There's no middle. We talked about there's no fence. <laughs> You're with him. Jesus said, you are either with me or against me. Not You're not halfway in and halfway out. So you're either with me or against me. He says there's a judgment against Babylon. Babylon signifies a city that is in rebellion against God. Revelation 19.2 says, For his judgments are true and, and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So both of these scriptures indicate the same thing we're looking at in 17.1. What's that? God's judgment against the prostitute, the great prostitute, who I don't think is a particular person, but, but probably a, a system, for lack of a better term, I would say a false religious system. A system leading false worship. So let's look at it again. Revelation 17, 1 through 3, the authority of the woman. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman seated on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Now we've seen those descriptions before, right? So when the Bible uses those same descriptions over and over again, he's not talking about something new. Same old beast. Same old beast. The religious system is riding the beast. Why? Because the beast is the one that provides the authority for her to have influence over the world. He's riding, she is, is riding the beast. Look at her position. Seated on many waters. Now, you don't have to say, Jackie, are you making this up? Revelation seventeen fifteen. The angel said, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. When the Bible uses that kind of language, it's talking about everybody. It says that people are going to get saved from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. What does that mean? People everywhere, right? The opportunity for the gospel goes to whosoever will. Whosoever can hear. Whosoever can receive. So it's going forward. So she's going to have influence everywhere. Everywhere. Look, this is not hard to see. Give me ten minutes at your house. We'll sit down turn on the news. And we'll watch it right on the news. 
It's not hard to see a, a false religious system, false premises, people who think, you know, that, that all of, everybody should just have their own, their own way of believing, their own way of thinking. It's all good. Everybody just leave everybody alone. Take your church, put it in a building, keep it in the building, don't let it out. But that's, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's something called the Great Commission, right? He didn't say, go into your church and be quiet, did he? What did he say? Go into all the world. Yeah? Make disciples of how many nations? Every nation, right? So, so we, we, it's not hard to see this idea. So she, this system, this false religion, this idolatry, this is going to enjoy worldwide influence. The next thing we see about her position, she's, she's not only on many waters, she's also riding the beast, right? She's riding the beast, seven heads, ten horns. So she's in union with a political entity, the political power. Remember we talked about Daniel, when he talks about the governments of the world throughout history, how does he look at them? He looks at them as beasts, right? You have four different kinds of beasts that show a progression. The one thing they all have in common the next one was just as bad as the one before, if not worse. Next one, just as bad as one. Are we getting better? I don't, you tell me how many years, how, how much history we've had. Mankind on his own is not improving. We, are, we maybe, The only thing we improve in is we improve in, in ways of killing each other. We get better at that, right? We can drop a bomb at Moab and blow up more people. Yeah? So... We have, we're good at that, but, but certainly not in the concept of governing the way that Christ would call us to govern. So we see the political entity. She's writing the political entity. When Rome developed a false religious system at the time of the first century Christians, that false religious system did what? Rode Rome. Where did that false religious system find its authority? From Rome. Rome gave it authority. And so that you had Caesar worship all around the first century, oh, actually the, probably the first two, maybe three centuries of the Christian church. You had this thing going on. So it's not something new. It's something that's been a part. What about back when they were in Egypt? What was the religious system of Egypt? Who was God for the Egyptians? Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh, the son of Ra. Right? He's... he's God in the flesh. So you have a religious system riding the beast. It's, it's not uncommon. And it, and it will occur. It will happen like the Bible describes it. Okay, So she's going to have worldwide influence. And she's going to ride the political power of the day. The political power that has the authority. And now let's look at her people. Not just where she sits, but look at her people. It says, the kings of the earth will worship her. Right? The kings of the earth are going to worship her. They're going to be her lovers. They're going to run to her. They're going to, they're going to come to her. In fact, in chapter 18, it's going to say, the merchants of the world weep when she's destroyed. So you see this, this attitude where the rulers around the world are all finding uh, comfort in this concept, this Religious system that she represents. A religious system of idolatry. 
We read about it uh, several places. Revelation 14.8 says, Another angel, a second followed and said, Fallen fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. It's talking about idolatry, unfaithfulness to God, turning your back on God, going after other gods, creating a God in your own image. Man's been trying to do that since Genesis. Right? You guys are aware. Genesis, I want to say chapter 10. We've got a story about a king named Nimrod. You guys familiar? They're building a ziggurat. They're building a tower through which they're going to reach to the gods. The name of the city was called Bebel. Ringing a bell. And... God says the desire of men's heart is only evil continually, right? And you have a confusion of the languages and a division of the people that occurs at Babel, which becomes the root of Babylon, which is the root of the city in rebellion against God, trying to have a God in their own image. The Bible says that man, every man, is created in the image of God. Doesn't it? But man tries to turn that around and create God in his image. We don't like the God that the Bible talks about, so we're going to say, well, God's not really like that. He's like this. Or I don't really see God like that. He's like this. Is that not idolatry? That's your own God. Making your own image of God. Revelation 18.3 says, All the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Now, don't we see that? Don't we see false religious systems? If they have anything in common, it's control and wealth. It sometimes amazes me what people will do. How people who who probably shouldn't, maybe they, they have good intentions, I don't know, that give to the craziest things I've ever heard in my life. A man come on the TV and tell you, send me a hundred bucks and I'll send you a prayer shawl. And when you use that prayer shawl, you pray under that prayer shawl, your, your prayers will, will be answered. And people get them by the hundreds of thousands. Or a handkerchief that will heal you, like Paul's handkerchief that, that would heal people in the book of Acts. I've got a handkerchief. If you're ill, if you're sick, you know, praying on the weak. But what does it say? That's the merchant's lover. Everybody just attaches their way to make money. To gather in the money. To, to They don't care about the truth. It's all about the idolatry. Verse 9 of 18 says, The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality, lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. When God judges. Verse 23 of 18. And the light of a lamp will shine in her no more. The voice of a bridegroom or a bride will be heard in her no more. For your merchants, like the great ones of the earth and all the nations, were deceived by your sorcery. The deception going through. It says in verse 
Revelation 19.2, For his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and avenged on her the blood of his servants. So you see the kings of the earth. Now the other thing is, not only are the kings of the earth flocking to her, but it says the earth dwellers are becoming drunk on her immorality. They're, they're drunk because of the things that she teaches. Do what you want to do. That's all people really want to hear, isn't it? Do what you want to do. Whatever you want to do, it's okay. There should be no judgment. Everybody on earth knows that Bible verse, right? Don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. But that ain't me judging you, brother. If I read the Bible to you, that's just the Bible. Your argument's not with me, it's with it. Don't judge me. What are you talking about? But what's the world want to hear? The world becomes intoxicated by the freedom of just saying, do whatever you want to do. Any way you want to live is okay. Create a God in your own image. False religious system where people flock. They are satisfied. They are satisfied with the political station, the political movement of the land, because they are satisfied with the religious movement that's backing it. Why doesn't that work in our country right now? Because the opposite is true, right? They don't like Christianity, the Bible, the truth, and they don't like the political system that is currently in power. Right? We can understand that, can't we? we surely you can see that in two seconds watching the news. Don't take long. So, but what the Bible's talking about is the opposite being true. Receiving the false and rejoicing over the power of the beast. Well, what's this woman look like? It says the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. So she's got purple and scarlet. Now scarlet, that's the same color as the beast, same color as the dragon. Uh, it also just so happens to be the color of Rome. I know a lot of people have used that. In the past, but at the time this is written, one of the things it signified was wealth. You didn't, everybody wasn't running around in scarlet. Roman citizens were. What marked a Roman citizen? What set them apart? They had more wealth than the average slave. She's arrayed in purple and she's got gold and silver and pearls. Now sometimes when we talk about that, we, we want to go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, Likewise also women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. Also it must be wrong to wear gold, right, and pearls and, and do all of these things. Is that what the Bible is telling us? Look, what the Bible is indicating for us about this great harlot is she looks like the God she serves. So my question is, do you look like the God you serve? And, and, and as we chew on that for a moment, before we go to Ezekiel 16, look at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, putting on of gold, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be this, the hidden person of the heart, with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What's it mean? 
The attributes of God, do they shine through you? Not just women, men, all of us. Is that what we, do we look like the God we serve? Because the woman who rides a beast, she looks like the God she serves. In fact, she's riding him. No? The dragon gave his power to the beast. The red dragon, the red beast, seven heads, ten horns. We see all of those similarities going through. So when we think about this, how she's dressed, what she's adorned with, I think what the Bible is telling us, what it's laying out for us, is she looks like the God she serves. And the reason I say that really is because of Ezekiel 16. If you guys got time, you could park in Ezekiel 16 for a long time. We are only going to, we're just going to read the first 26 verses, I think I got in there. First 26 verses, just so you can see. Because I want you to understand that God also adorns with gold, silver, pearls. And he didn't say when he adorned with gold, silver, and pearls, that was bad. But what they did with the gold, silver, and pearls was. So let's look at it. Just so we can get a little bit of, of uh, foundation under us. Ezekiel 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me and said, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. What's he saying in Ezekiel 16? There was no nation of Israel. God pulled the nation of Israel out of the other nations. He called Abraham when he was of the Ur, in Ur of the Chaldeans, right? He called Abraham out of the other nations. As for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, or rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, But you were thrown into the open field, for you were abhorred, hated, on the day that you were born. So the idea is, as child was born, no umbilical cord cut, the afterbirth and everything is all around this baby, and the whole pile is thrown into an open field. That's a picture God's painting. Verse 6 says, And when I pass by, this is God talking, When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and you became tall and arrived at full adornment. God said, I took care of you when you were little. Until you became old. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, but yet you were naked and bare. And when I passed by again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. So I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. It's a picture of God taking this child who was thrown out as wife. I said, you were mine. You see it. I made my vow to you. And entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. We can all understand that, right? I entered into a covenant with you. I took care of you from the day you were born until you grew old. And when you were naked and alone, I came to you, and I made a promise to you. You and me till the wheels fall off. I'll be with you. Then I bathed you with water, and I washed the blood off of you and anointed you with oil. 
I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. So she's being adorned, right? And I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. And you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. And you ate fine flour and honey and oil. And you grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced even into royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I gave you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby, and your beauty became his. So what's he doing? He has wed her. He has made promises to her. He's clothed her. He's given her gold, silver, everything that she could ever want or everything that she could ever need. And how has she responded? Everybody who passes by, she gives herself away to them. She gives herself sexually to everyone who goes by. It says, your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourselves colorful shrines. And on them you played the whore. And the like has never been nor ever shall be. You took your beautiful jewels of my gold and silver which I gave you. And made for yourselves the images of men. And with them you played the whore. You took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them. You Also my bread that I gave you. I fed you with fine flour, oil, and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma. So it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me. And these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings no small matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, did you not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare wallowing in your own blood? And after all your wickedness, woe to you, declares the Lord God. You built yourself a vaulted chamber, made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every tree you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. Oh, it's about halfway through the chapter. There's a whole lot more there. What is going on? Ezekiel is talking to the people. What is their judgment? What had they done wrong? Idolatry. They were unfaithful to God. They were following every God, every little whim that passed by their way. They were not faithful to Him. And this is how God describes it. What was it that this, this woman who is Israel, what did she do with her gold and silver? She made idols. She enticed other men, other people to, to come and share her bed with the things that God had given her. You see, in the beginning, she was looking like the God she worshipped, but by the end... She was looking like something else altogether, wasn't she? And so, with the woman who rides the beast, this mother of all, not just 
herself an idolater. She's the mother of all idolatry. The mother of it all. The one who started it all. The one who causes it all. It's not some specific priest or some specific system. It's something that started way back in Genesis 10 and is still going on today. The mother of all harlots. What we want to do is be able to show the hidden person of the heart, the gentle and quiet spirit. The good news is Ezekiel 16 doesn't end there. It ends with God saying, I'm going to save you. I will atone. What did Hosea do when his wife was all wore out and nobody wanted her anymore? He went and got her, bought her, and brought her home. What did God do for Israel? Same thing. He bought her with his own blood. Same thing that he has done for us all. So this is the clothing of the woman. The other thing we see is her abominations in the golden cup. Ezekiel 16 talks about some of them, but Jeremiah 51.6 says, Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine before the nations went mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. The abominations of Babylon. We have examples all throughout the scripture. In 1 Kings 14, it says, Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy. Well, what does that mean? When the Bible says, so-and-so did something evil and provoked the Lord to jealousy, they were unfaithful. God looks at worshiping other gods, worshiping false religious systems, like an unfaithful bride. He says, I am a jealous God. What's that mean? He doesn't want to share with someone else. He wants it all. He wants the whole heart, not a piece. He wants the whole life, not just a corner. He wants it all. Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all their fathers had done. For they built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim, on every high hill and under every green tree. They also, and there were also male cult prostitutes in the land that did according to all the abominations of the land that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. The idea is once we turn our back on the Lord and start worshiping other gods, all of a sudden we start doing a lot of things we didn't do before. We start seeing a lot of things different. Why? Because we become like, we become like the God we serve. We start to look like Him. We start to act like Him. And that's what's going on. 2 Kings 21 says, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out from before the people of Israel. In verse 9 it says, They did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. What did Manasseh do? All the things you read about in Ezekiel 16. That's what Manasseh did. 
Every single thing you read about, Manasseh did. In fact, God is going to tell his prophets because of Manasseh, the judgment is coming and I'm not going to turn from it. Babylon comes within uh, a few years. Babylon, the judgment that God brings. In Ezekiel 20, it says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go, and go whoring after their detestable things? One thing God talks about more than anything else, you work your way through the Old Testament, is unfaithfulness. Cheating on God. And we don't value that. In fact, I don't know a single culture on earth that does. That says, oh, you're the most unfaithful person in our whole tribe? Wow, you should be the chief. Right? I don't know of any of that where that's the, the, the most glorified title. The Bible calls us to chesed in the Old Testament. Chesed is loyal love, just like the word agapeo. A loyal love, a true love, a love that won't turn its back. A love that says, I will be faithful to you. Revelation 18, we've looked at those scriptures, talks about the iniquity. This is what the iniquity is. The idolatry that she turns to. So what's in the golden cup looks all pretty on the outside. What's on the inside? The bottom line, it's idolatry. The Bible says all covetousness is idolatry. Do you know that? Paul talks about it. Paul says covetousness, wanting somebody what somebody else has. You know, the desire to take what they got. He says that's idolatry. It's possible, right, to worship the good things that God gives? Isn't that what the woman did in Ezekiel 16? Wow, look at all this cool stuff I got. Taking the good gifts that God gives and beginning to worship the gift rather than the giver. Oh, that sounds like Romans chapter 1, doesn't it? The same thing going on in Romans chapter 1. So we see these abominations, this idolatry. Verse 5 says, on her forehead is written a name. That was a typical practice for prostitutes in those days. They would have their name on their forehead, like a placard, like a crown that you would wear. So the idea on her name was a for, uh, on her forehead was written a name. Mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abomination. So I want you to see the Bible's talking symbolically, right? She's the mother of all harlots, of of all of them, in order to be the mother of them all, how far back does she got to go? Don't she got to go back to the beginning? So she got to go. She got to go all the way back to Genesis. So we're, we're definitely talking about a system. She's the mother of all harlots, and written on her is the name mystery. Mystery uh, signifies the concept of the mystery religion. The mystery religion of Babylon was pretty simple. The mystery about the religion of Babylon was basically do whatever you want. And it melded well with every other religion. It's amazing. They got along with them all. Because, you know, was, I was not going to put my truth on you. As though that's such a thing. I'm not going to put my truth on you. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. My truth. I don't even have time to get into that. So, but that was the mystery religion. 
oftentimes in other temples of other gods, all around the world they would have this other little altar built that was to the mystery religion. Mystery. On her is written, mystery. Babylon the Great, the people in rebellion against God, the mother of all unfaithfulness, the fountainhead, the reservoir, the beginning of the river, the womb that bore all other uh, resistance to God on the earth, all the rebellious. This is who she is. And what's the accusation against her? It's in verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints, the blood of the martyrs, and I marveled greatly. She is inebriated by killing God's people. It's always been that way. From Genesis to Revelation. What was Jezebel? Just another example. What were these people we read about in the Bible? What is it? They're, they're drunk. The word drunk is a present participle in the Greek, which means it's a continuous state. Not something that happened once. Continuous state. She is always drunk with the blood of the saints. She is always drunk with wiping out the people of God. This is the false religious system in rebellion against God. And the Bible ends by saying this, and John mega marvels. Literally, the Greek word in front of marvel is mega. And he was greatly amazed. Why is he greatly amazed? What's it look like to see something or someone so beautiful covered with the blood of the saints? Sitting on a scarlet beast. I don't know. But the sight of her and what she was doing blew John away. Now if you think about that, we're in chapter 17. We've seen some crazy stuff so far. No? And this is the one that makes him greatly amazed? This is the one. The judgment of that false religious system. Here's what I think is important. We need to recognize we, are, we, we have a tendency of making excuses for all our stuff. We paint it all with a whitewash, right? Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. We make it look good on the outside. We say, oh, what's a big deal? Oh, I'm just blowing off a little steam, or I'm just a this, or I'm just a that. It's important to see how God sees it. How does God view it? He talks in terms of beasts. Women drinking the blood of the saints. Dancing on their graves, their tombs. Excited and, and drunk by the, by the possibility of killing more. That's how God sees them. The world don't paint that kind of picture on it. It don't. It puts a, a much uh, rosier veneer. Oh, no, we don't want that. Oh, no, that's not our attitude. But the reality is, that system in opposition to God, that idolatrous system, that great prostitute has been here since Genesis. And she's still working today. And God is going to judge her. She will not have free reign forever. Jesus Christ will put an end 
to the woman who rides the beast, to the rebellion against God. He is going to take every wrong and make it right. The story of Revelation is that Jesus Christ is going to do that. In the meantime, the question that just rolls around in my head is just simply that, do you look like the God you serve? Can they not tell a difference? And if they can't, what God says is is that that gentle spirit from the inside, that thing that God's doing within the temple, right? The temple that is you, your body, the temple of God. Allow God to do that work. Make us like Him. Stop fighting. Surrender. Allow Him to make the changes He wants to make. And watch as your life becomes not easier. That's never been the goal. Watch as your life becomes a greater glory to His majesty, to His glory, bringing Him honor. And on that day when you see His face, you will not be ashamed. Amen? Amen. Just stand with me. Let's pray.